clipping this on. Don't mind me. Okay, there we go. Um, before I get started preaching, a miracle happened, and that is that my Be Real notification just came up. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and, you know what Be Real is? Yeah, yeah I'm just going to go ahead and take that, and, and then that'll be pretty cool. Look at that. Hey, everyone. Okay, cool. Do I look high? <laughs> my, my, eye, my eyes were not fully open in that picture. That uh, was not good looking. Um, okay, cool. Uh, I will uh, alternate between standing and sitting some during this because um, we're going to be doing a little bit of storytelling. I'm making sure I can see everyone's faces. Uh, well, I want to start off with a hypothetical question, and that is, what if I told you beyond the shadow of a doubt that I spotted Jesus in the student union today. If I was like, hey, uh, <laughs> I just came over from the student union, and Jesus is uh, he's, uh, walking around there. Um, so if you want to go see him, you should probably uh, go ahead and run over there. Um, I mean, first of all, you probably wouldn't believe me, but if I had some kind of convincing proof that the real-life Jesus was walking around, he came back, and he showed up to the student union at UTD. Uh, <laughs> how hard would you scramble to get over there and catch a glimpse of Jesus? Michelle said, so fast. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Um, there's this scene, how many of y'all have seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire? <laughs> a handful, yeah. I mean, it came out in 2008, and it, it's not exactly like as big of a movie as other movies from y'all's childhoods. But um, yeah, there's this scene uh, where the main character, uh, a boy named Jamal, um, he has this like action star named Amitabh, Amitabh, who he is obsessed with. Like he has just this printed picture of this action star that he looks at all the time. And he's like, oh my goodness, it's Amitabh. He's so cool. Like I've seen the same VHS of him a hundred times. Um, and they hear that Amitabh might be coming uh, to their village. And he's like so excited and he's nervous. So he's in a uh, bathroom stall. You can do the math with that. Um, and he hears the helicopter flying overhead, and his friend is like, oh my goodness, it's Amitabh! And he's like, oh my goodness, he's here! And his friend wants to get to meet Amitabh before him, so his friend jams a chair under the stall door handle and leaves him just stuck, and it's this like kind of like small village stall, so it's just this wooden you know, room suspended above a cesspool of the stall stuff. And he's like, I know what I gotta do. And so, and he, he jumps in. There's this little like seven-year-old boy just jumps in and he climbs out, wipes off his eyes and runs and pushes through the crowd like, like Peter pushing through the crowd to see, Peter Parker pushing through the crowd to see Uncle Ben, but just a lot smellier and funnier and weirder. <laughs> And he finally gets to Amitabh, and you don't even see him. You just see this boy's face as he's covered in who knows what. And he gets the autograph, and he's like, Amitabh! And it's like the biggest thing that ever happened to him, right? Um, yeah, that was an interesting image that came to mind. 
of if Jesus was passing by, would I go to that kind of undignified, desperate length <laughs> to meet him, right? Um, what I want to do for the next 20 to 30 minutes is to hopefully give us a glimpse of Jesus. Um, and hopefully it won't feel like you're jumping into a cesspool <laughs> in order to do that. Um, but I do want to challenge you that um, to get a glimpse of someone so important does require effort on our part. And I think the effort on our part is to really engage your heart, your mind, your imagination, your attention, um, and just do your best to create a mental picture of who this man who is God is. Um, I've chosen, I started making slides, and I've chosen um, not to have them up. Um, and that's because I, I originally on the slides was going to have pictures of different people. And over time, I realized that all our brains do is say, oh, that person looks too old. That person looks too young. That person's, um, they look like they're from Israel, but they weren't, they don't look like they've been outside enough. Or, you know what I mean? Like, there's just too many, like, is this a historically accurate depiction of Jesus kinds of things. And what I want to talk about is not the like, okay, what exactly did this man look like? I want to talk about the humanity of Jesus tonight. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, we had the verse read by Nicole from Hebrews 4. Uh, it says that we don't have a high priest who cannot empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, but did not sin. Right? So I want to talk about the Jesus that totally understands us because he's a human being. Um, yeah, I, I will say again that um, although I'm not going to get into too many mm, technicalities with the history, that it is important to remember the Jewishness of Jesus. I think sometimes it's tempting to just take him and, and make him your race or your uh, you know, financial status. Uh, I, there's this quote from this book um, called The Jesus I Never Knew called, uh, by Philip Yancey which I'll be referencing a couple of times, but he's talking about the Jewishness of Jesus. And he's like, anytime I forget that, I just remind myself that the people who knew him in his day probably referred to him as Rabbi Yeshua Bar Joseph. And that kind of wakes me up of like, oh, this is a actual historical person who lived in this place at this time and spoke this language. But... Um, I don't think we can understand how impactful and ridiculously amazing it is that Jesus is a human being if we, f if we don't first have a reverent moment to remember that Jesus is God, right? The divinity of Jesus. If you don't have that, the humanity means nothing. Um, so in John 1, in speaking about Jesus, he says, through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So just for a moment, because we're going to be talking about God as a man, but just for a moment, let God be big <laughs> for a second. I think in the modern Western church, we want so badly to emphasize the relatability of God that sometimes you don't pause and just let him be big. Through him, all things were made. And just 
think about how we're continuously discovering just how big the universe is and that it's expanding faster than we can comprehend and that there's all of these forces at play that we don't comprehend and that there might be multiverses and we don't really know. Through him, all things were made. Right? This is the God that became a person. And the first step to becoming a person is birth, um, <clears throat> which is one of the wildest steps in anyone's life, and thank God you don't remember it. Um, but yeah, Jesus was born, the Bible tells us, to Mary, who was a virgin, who was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And just from that and what we know historically about people at that time and Jewish people at that time, Mary was probably a teenage girl. So um, the red carpet that was rolled out for Jesus' birth, for God's entrance onto this earth, was a teenage pregnancy. There's this quote from that book, uh, The Jesus I Never Knew, that says, uh, Malcolm Mudridge observed that in our day, with family planning clinics offering convenient ways to correct mistakes that might disgrace a family name, it is, in point of fact, extremely improbable under existing conditions that Jesus would have been permitted to be born at all. Mary's pregnancy in poor circumstances with the father unknown would have been an obvious case for an abortion, and her talk of having conceived as a result of the intervention of the Holy Ghost would have pointed to the need for psychiatric treatment and made the case for terminating her pregnancy even stronger. Thus, our generation needing a savior more perhaps than any that has ever existed would have been too humane to allow one to be born. Again, the God who made everything you see around uh, chose to be born in circumstances that were, you know, our culture would consider the perfect candidate for like, don't let this person be born. Life will be too much pain for them. Life won't be worth it for them. A teenage pregnancy in a religious society in the middle of nowhere without good medicine, um, and the person is claiming it was the Holy Spirit that did it. An apparent mental illness, <laughs> an unverifiable claim. And this is what he chose as his birth. And I'm not going to get into the apologetics of this, but if you were going to invent a religion around God becoming a man, would you choose that as the circumstances? Because people have been making fun of that for 2,000 years. So yeah, he's born. Um, in a birth that I would have to assume was very painful and very messy, birth is always that way, but probably the person delivering this child was Joseph, who I can't imagine was an awesome doula or an awesome doctor, right? Just, yeah, just this man, kind of blue-collar, small-town guy doing his best to deliver a child from this teenage girl that he's engaged to. Life was different back then. Um, could you pass me my water, by the way, Josh? Thank you. The ability of your mouth to get dry when you're speaking in front of people is wild. So, um, yeah, and then God spent as much time as anyone else being in a baby. Uh, and I think a lot of times we focus on the, um, the side of Jesus where he's doing all these miracles as a 33-year-old man and he's totally in step with the Father and he's winning all these arguments with the Pharisees. 
Um, and then we take that image of God, of Jesus, and then put that onto the baby Jesus and imagine him just kind of waiting there for a while. He's like, my time has not come. He's like, I can do miracles. They don't know it yet. And I'm like, he was a baby, right? He, like, Joseph probably tickled him, and he probably had a really loud, musical, squealing laugh like any baby. Um, He needed to be fed like any baby. Like any baby, he didn't have great ways to communicate his needs. So the God of the universe knew nothing other than to to cry when he needed his diaper changed, when he needed to be fed. He went through what any baby goes through, what any baby is like. God chose to spend a time being totally helpless and totally dependent on the people he had made who had turned their back on him. And then um, he upgrades from baby to refugee. Um, So in Matthew 2, starting in verse 13, we read that, Um, This is talking about Mary and Joseph. It says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. If you don't know who Herod is, go read the Christmas story. Um, Yeah, so for, for Herod is going to try to find the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So, God chose for his circumstances, teenage small-town pregnancy, for his midwife, just a random guy, and for his circumstances for his childhood, to be a Middle Eastern refugee and then to come back to that place he was from and be a second-class citizen under an oppressive regime. This is what he chose for himself. And again, it bears asking, if Jesus were around as a child now, what would happen to him? How are refugees from that part of the world treated today with our extremely advanced morals and science? How are they treated now? Not awesome. So, so far, a great life. Um, but then he had a childhood, and there's this huge gap where from the age of like, who know, maybe one or two to the age of 30, somewhere around there, we've got one story, which is the boy Jesus at the temple where he's 12 years old, and his parents lose track of him during a trip to Jerusalem, and he's in the synagogue asking questions uh, to the teachers of the law. Um, and that's about it in terms of what we, you know, can see from there. But um, again, just think about your childhood and the things that marked it. A lot of time around family, um, having like a weird uncle and weird grandparents and siblings. Um, Jesus probably had childhood friends. Um, he probably went separate ways from a lot of them. He probably missed those friends. He had to learn a lot. He was inquisitive. And again, they were impressed by what he was learning, but he was asking questions probably because he was a kid learning. Um, He obeyed his parents. He he played games. He would fall and scrape his knee. He probably had a bully at some point. Just, yeah, just think about the memories that you have that are typical of childhood 
And how many of those things did Jesus experience something very similar? It's a, a weird thought to picture Jesus before, um, you know, just the spiritual giant and the historical figure that he became. I also think as painfully, blindingly obvious as it is, uh, it bears mentioning that Jesus lived his life inside a body that he had a body. And not that he was like God coming and animating somebody, that it was just sort of like the lines of like, who is Jesus in his soul form and body form? It's just all one thing. Jesus lived with a body as a physical person. Um, So I want you for a second to close your eyes and just become aware of your body, um, of just the weight that your arms have sitting on the table or hanging on your side. Um, yeah, what the, what the temperature feels like in this room, what you can hear, what you can smell, what you can feel. And just imagine Jesus experiencing the world with the same senses that he gave to you. And yeah, become aware of how you're feeling. Are you cold right now? And can you imagine him having no place to lay his head later on during his ministry and just being out without a blanket cold? Or is your heart racing right now and you're, you're uncomfortable being in a group of people? But can you imagine Jesus being nervous um, before the Sermon on the Mount or before going to his crucifixion? Um, yeah, you can open your eyes. Um, yeah, I think we try to skip over and avoid, avoid just the body of Jesus. But the things that are so essential to what it means to be human that we don't think about at all, of just having senses, he experienced the same things, right? Do you, if you have a headache right now, Jesus probably had migraines, right? It's weird to think about. Like the I was even thinking about just, he probably spent time getting sick and having injuries. Um, We have no reason to assume that his brain chemistry was perfect. Entirely possible he fought depression or had ADD. I mean, we don't know. You know, it wasn't, you know, those terms didn't exist back then. But all of the difficulties and blessings of being an embodied person, Jesus experienced all of those, right? So you can... I mean, if you're a freshman, puberty is not a distant memory for you. Jesus got to experience that. Tempted in every way and yet without sin. You know what I mean? Yeah, entirely possible that at some point he, like, found someone very attractive and was like, okay, I have to navigate this now, faithfully. How many of you does that make you feel uncomfortable to think about? That's okay. I, yeah, I think um, there's a reason that throughout history, one of the things that is, um, there's so many heresies surrounding is what they call the hypostatic union. That's Jesus being fully God and fully man. And they always try to sacrifice one of those things. And it's because when you really think about God going through all of the ugly, weird things we go through, it's kind of baffling um, and uncomfortable. Yeah, and then Jesus became an adult, started his ministry, 
Obviously, you can go read about the miracles, the parables, the conversations he had with people. But as an adult, he remained a pretty unimpressive person. Um, He was from Nazareth, which a few fun facts about Nazareth. One, um, basically the name of Nazareth roughly translates to stick town. So if you've ever heard of someone saying they're from the sticks, Jesus was literally from the sticks. So that's pretty cool. Uh, In addition to that, um, at one point uh, in John 1, you read, you know, Philip telling his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. He's like, yeah, he's, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, what? Uh, and you're like, why, why did he feel that way? And then in uh, Matthew 26, when Jesus is being tried by the Sanhedrin, Peter's over there just trying to act like he doesn't know him, warming his hands by the fire. And people are like, nah, I've seen you with Jesus before. And someone says uh, that Peter's accent gives him away, that he's from Nazareth. And if you look into this, we're not 100% certain, but it seems like people looked at Nazareth the way that we might look at like a small town from Arkansas. Like you're like a hick and uneducated. But on top of that, there would often be a lot of like rebellions and revolts that would get quashed in Nazareth. And so people, they are starting to, archaeologists are starting to find holes dug under people's homes where they would hide. And it looks like maybe they would hide during those rebellions. So essentially... Jesus, again, God chose as his place to grow up a small town with low access to really anything, low education, and also probably a high crime rate. Pretty crazy to think about. It's also crazy to think about Jesus not being educated given how incredibly smart he was, Um, which one, I think, shows something about the humility of God that he chose to live a life with access to so little information. Like you sitting here have access to more information than Jesus did when he was walking on the earth. Which I think tells us about what true wisdom and true knowledge really looks like, that he was still able to know God and still able to live a life that changed the course of history without knowing a ton of stuff. Um, I'm not saying that makes education bad, but I am saying that that should humble us a little bit as we pursue knowledge and as we start to know a lot more than the average person, even in America, that you need to catch yourself if you think that makes you somehow better than anyone else. Because you know more in some ways than Jesus did. Um, Again, we don't have a ton of evidence of his physical appearance. You know, some people would take Isaiah 53 and what it says about the suffering servant having nothing about his appearance to attract us to him. Some people apply that to Jesus, and I think that's okay. But, I mean, yeah, he was probably not this particularly attractive, handsome man, which, like, 95% of, like, film and movie adaptations of Jesus, he's always, like, like, he's, like, so hot for no reason. (laughs) They're like, and they're like, he's got those biceps because he's a carpenter. I'm like, yeah, but the perfect skin though. And the hair care, that's the part where you lose me. Um, Yeah. So yeah, he was all those things. He was an uneducated small town hick from a a high crime rate rate area. Um, And then later on during a lot of his ministry, he ended up being homeless. And uh, I would assume that his 
homelessness and not having anywhere to stay would have made him low hygiene and, and unimpressive to look at, even by the day's standards. And yeah, you can just think of how hard it is to maintain an appearance when you're like that. Uh, at this point, have I painted a picture of someone who you would go out of your way to learn from? Who you would go out of your way to, to love and to model your life after? I know for me, probably not, um, if I'm being honest. The Gospels do show, though, that Jesus was dripping with personality, right? Like, he wasn't just, oh, this unimpressive, poor, pitiful little person. Like, there was something magnetic about his ability to communicate and the way that he was very present in his conversations and always had time for one more person to talk to them. And um, yeah, he's so articulate that even people who are not Christians still quote his teachings to this day. Uh, yeah, I think in our efforts to recognize the humility of Jesus, we can sometimes miss like, nah, this was an amazing person no matter what. Um, yeah, he was, he was blunt. He was compassionate. I think you can see Jesus being pretty funny. Um, like when, uh, I forgot who it is. It's two of the disciples. Y'all, y'all can help me remember. But they're pretty um, boisterous, and he nicknames them the Sons of Thunder. James and John, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there to that, right? Like, I don't think he was just like, and you shall be called sons of thunder. I think it was more like, okay, here come the sons of thunder. Look at y'all go. Like, what are you going to do today, right? Um, yeah, so I think you can see that he had as much or more personality than anyone else, that he was an individual person with a sense of humor, probably had inside jokes with the disciples, you think of your friendships, and yeah, he probably did things like that. Um, I think it's worth noting that Jesus, it seems like he was very emotionally developed as a person, that he was in touch with his emotions. Um, there's this quote, again, from the Jesus I Never Knew. It's a little bit longer, so strap in. But it says, I once attended a men's movement retreat designed to help men get in touch with their emotions and break out of restrictive stereotypes of masculinity. As I sat in a small group listening to other men tell of their struggles to express themselves and to experience true intimacy, I realized that Jesus lived out an ideal for masculine fulfillment that 19 centuries later still eludes most men. Three times, at least, he cried in front of his disciples. He did not hide his fears or hesitate to ask for help. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death in Gethsemane. Stay here and keep watch with me. How many strong leaders today would make themselves so vulnerable? Unlike most men I know, Jesus also loved to praise other people. I would add, unlike most people of any kind that I know. Jesus loved to praise other people. When he worked a miracle, he often deflected credit back on the recipient. Your faith has healed you. He called Nathanael a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. Of John the Baptist, he said that none greater had been born of women. Volatile Peter, he renamed the rock. When a cringing woman offered him an extravagant act of devotion, Jesus defended her against critics and said the story of her generosity would be told forever. The Gospels show that Jesus quickly established intimacy with the people he met. 
whether talking with a woman at the well, a religious leader in a garden, a fisherman by a lake, he cut instantly to the heart of the matter. And after a few brief lines of conversation, these people revealed to Jesus their innermost secrets. People of his day tended to keep rabbis and holy men at a respectful distance, but Jesus drew out something else, a hunger so deep that people crowded around him just to touch his clothes. Novelist Mary Gordon mentions Jesus' sensitivity to women and children as one of the main qualities that attracted her. Surely he is the only affectionate hero in literature. Who can imagine an affectionate Odysseus or an affectionate Aeneas? Yeah. So, while on one hand there are a lot of unimpressive things about Jesus as a person, on the other hand, I think he's someone that if any of us got to know him, we would see a heart that really drew us in um, and made us feel um, very seen and in some ways very safe, in some ways not safe to mess around. Um, But he was also, as we know, very misunderstood and very hated by a lot of people. Uh, The book of John, I think we sometimes focus on all of like the beautiful, fun parts of the book of John, of the woman at the well, yes, and John 3.16, yes, that's so sweet. Uh, But most of the book of John is basically Jesus doing something and then people reacting wrong and him having arguments with people. And at one point, he's like, stop judging by mere appearances and instead judge correctly. Or they're like, who are you? And he's like, I am who I've said I am the whole time. What are you going (laughs) to, like, he's like, I'm trying to tell you stuff and nobody's listening. How many of you have ever felt like everyone is misinterpreting what you say and what you mean, right? Even that, God did not let himself circumvent that experience. He was very misunderstood, very hated. You know, when, when he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. I think sometimes we look at that and we view it as like someone super religious judging a pastor who's talking to someone with a bad reputation. I think probably Jesus' family for a good while thought that he was sleeping with prostitutes. Like, think about that. Like, they saw him going and I assume having conversations one-on-one with some of these people, right? Like, that's the level to which he was misunderstood that the only truly pure person ever in his own family probably thought he was sleeping around and getting wasted with people. That's the reputation that he had for a while. Friend of tax collectors and sinners and friend of drunkards, right? That's what people said about him. Think about that. Think how frustrating that would be if you, were, you had never sinned in your life and you still had all of the pains and temptations as anyone else and you start your ministry and that's where your reputation goes. That would be hard. I'll be mad. Um, I think Jesus even experienced, I don't know if any of you have ever looked at the world and how messed up and broken it is and just had this, just fallen apart a little bit. Just like, why? I think he experienced that. Um, When he goes to heal Lazarus, there's this, really profound moment where he already knows that he's going to heal Lazarus. Um, but I will say, it's not, he does wait, you know, and people act like Lazarus died because Jesus waited. But Lazarus had been dead for several days when Jesus got there. So he really was too late, and he gets there, and there's all these people mourning, and Jesus sees them all mourning, and he knows that he can heal this man or raise him from the dead, 
And Jesus, before doing that, weeps with them. And I think it can be easy to look at that and be like, yeah, you know, he's just doing that because that's what you're supposed to do. Or that he's just doing that out of empathy to mourn with those who mourn. But what if Jesus, even though he knew he could help, he was still looking at the state of humanity and the pain we all have to experience and just being brokenhearted over it? Right? And he, I mean, Jesus says, no one but the Father knows the date that I'm going to come back. Right? He, to a certain extent, has the same uncertainty of like, I know this is going to work out. I'm having to trust my Father as to when and how. That's hard. He's had the same feeling of like, I wish I could snap my fingers and fix all of it. But, but things are more complicated than that. But what I can do right now is weep and then help this person. Jesus experienced that feeling. I mentioned it earlier, but he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before going to be crucified, experienced just fear. Um, yeah, you see him frantically pleading with his father, like, if there's any way, let this cut pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. You see him pleading, his sweat becoming like drops of blood. We don't know if that's a simile or this crazy hematidrosis phenomenon, but either way, this is someone probably having something akin to a full-blown panic attack before going and being misunderstood by people more. And his disciples are not there. They keep falling asleep, and he experiences loneliness. I don't know if you've ever been going through something that's so hard that you don't even have the words to describe it to people, and then they're not there for you because it's too uncomfortable, or they're busy, or they're tired. That's a hard experience, and, and he went through that. Um, and then on the cross, I think, obviously, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know, uh, you've heard described to you just the immense pain of what a crucifixion is. Uh, but I also want to highlight just the embarrassment of, you know, his mom is in the crowd. I, the thought of my mom seeing me go through any kind of pain is, is really hard for me. But then the thought of my mom seeing me yelled at by a crowd and seeing me naked for the first time since I was a baby in that state is sickening. And Jesus had that kind of embarrassment that he went through. So to go back to the story of the little boy Jamal and Slumdog Millionaire and this movie star Amitabh is, is coming by and he hears his helicopter landing and he jumps into a cesspit in order to get to him. In our relationship with Jesus, who do you think is more so the one jumping into the pile of crap in order to get to someone else? Who is... Yeah, just completely undignifying themselves in order to get to the other person. And who is probably too rich and too busy to give that undignified person the time of day? Because I don't think it's the way it should be. So again, Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, 
yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. If you want to know the extent to which Jesus wants you to come to him, he undignified himself to that extent. Um, How much more could he want to know us than to experience everything we experience? I, uh, I hope that God can help us to be just a little bit more undignified in our efforts to know him to put a little bit more of our emotions on the table, to be willing to endure a little bit more discomfort, to ask a few more questions, to look a little more foolish as we try to figure out what it looks like to follow him. Because no matter what we do, we'll pale in returning the favor of just the indignity and suffering that he went through to be like us, to be with us. And I hope that God can help us to become a little bit more undignified in our efforts to get closer to each other. That was the goal, is that Jesus could come here and and help us. He says the the law is summarized in these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And he later upgrades that to, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And who remembers what he did right right before upgrading his command to that? He washed the disciples' feet, right? Right. There's this quote from a commentary on Mark uh, that just says, dirtiness is next to godliness, which I love. Um, But yeah, how, how often is it our unwillingness to risk a little bit of embarrassment, a little bit of discomfort emotionally or or physically that keeps us from actually going the extra mile to love someone? And we become a little more undignified to know God, a little more undignified to love him a little more undignified to, to show other people Jesus. So to, to close this out, and, and worship team, y'all can go ahead and come up. Um, we're going to play a song called Why Does God Have to Look So Human? Um, it's not some masterpiece, virtuosic thing, like lyrically and musically. It's not going to be like, whoa, there's 80 layers of wordplay. It's a very simple song. It's a very sweet song. Uh, but it's from this musical called The Unusual Tale of Mary and Joseph. Yeah, and it's just about his parents and just kind of the lead up to Jesus being born. And it's written, this song is written from the perspective of Mary just holding this baby she's just given birth to and just realizing, like, this is God. How does that make any sense? So, yeah, I just hope you can listen to it and be impacted by it, and then we'll get into some worship. <laughs>